Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype May 30th, 2020. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. So these weekly shows, editing these weekly shows, maybe not as well as I had originally planned, but we're still recording them and we have on the one and only Simon Hill. Hello, Simon. Good evening, Tom. So just in terms of a lockdown update, I certainly keep very much abreast of the UK media, but I'm never really sure how folks in England are actually affected. Has anything changed with regards to your lockdown? Or are you still maintaining it because of, you know, your wife's health concerns and various other reasons? Yeah, basically what you said. I mean, there's some, there are some concerns that um, there's going to be some easing next week, um, but the, there's a lot of pros and cons with it. Um, we're going to stay the same, I think, because all the time there's lots of infections. We'll just carry on as we are. We've got into a routine now. It's working. So, Certainly. And it's... It's no real difference to us, effectively. We can still get our food, go and see my mum and sort out what we need to. It is interesting the changes that have occurred, and certainly I think since we last spoke, I've talked on the the additional recordings associated with where people see shows as being and these kind of things. But with you in particular, you have a relatively active crew. I know you've taken a couple of steps back in, in recent years, but do you get a sense of when your crew would consider meeting? I mean, does it, it's, it's a long way in the future, right? And you're also utilizing Zoom currently. Yeah. I mean, from Monday, they say we can meet five people outside, but you know, there's a lot of inherent risks there. I mean, I think most people are still content with watching a lot of the content that's being put up. Um, today I was watching some of the NRA content, um, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. There seems to be a bit of reluctance from a lot of our various societies over here to do that sort of thing and get into so much tangle with bureaucracy about how they're going to manage it and who's <laughs> going to get involved in it. Um, and I mentioned it to the Old Gage Guild a little while ago and it's gone off on a tangent now and they're going to have lots of committee <laughs> meetings about it. And I said, you just do it. You don't have to talk about it. You just do it. Um, but no, I mean, what, what other people are doing is all very interesting as well. And I'm trying my best to, to put out as much as I can. I tend not to do too much video because it takes time to do video, but I just keep putting lots of posts out of what's happening. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing as well. I mean, I think what's fascinating, and I observe other hobby communities as well. My wife is a, a quilter um, and, you know, I watch the quilting community. I have, you know, friends and interests in wargaming and military history and, I think universally the lack of conventions going forward has been recognised. All these communities have stepped up to the plate with regards to virtual conventions, which is why I follow NMRAX and I'm just about to put out the audio with uh, Gordy Robinson and co. Uh, but, yeah, it's fascinating just to see how model railroading specifically has adapted and yet there are a number of other hobbies that are doing similar things, but there doesn't seem to be any crossover i mean i know with your crew you know you've got various crossovers particularly into the electronics community and these kind of things i mean do you see any collective learning from other hobbies or do you think model railroaders will be model railroaders and as you say committees will meet within the model railroading hobby or do you actually see that perhaps there might be some kind of crossover amongst the various hobbies I think the future will show what we've gone through the, the technology we can use effectively will benefit and overall we're we're pretty well supplied with products um, <laughs> i suppose mostly because most of the people producing this stuff are small cottage industries so yes. they can still work i mean the bigger companies 
uh, it's they find it very difficult. I mean, I had some bits on order, and the cat, the chap kept eating me saying, "Just be patient; it'll be on its way soon." And it was. Um, and I got some chips through this week, and I only ordered them on Tuesday, and they arrived on Thursday. So, you know, overall, I mean, yes, it's nice to be able to go in your, your local shop and see things, but the crossover between different groups is very difficult in this country because everybody sets their own line, and they yes. don't want to cross it. Yes. Um, I suppose our crossover really is with the military modelling side because of the weathering techniques and their modelling techniques. Certainly. It, it's very allied to what we do in, in the way of detailing. I mean, and some of the figures you put up, it, it shows it, that sort of painting and crafting. It's exactly the same as what we do, just in a different field. Um, some people are a bit sniffy about looking at other hobbies, and I try to <laughs> post up things like this. Um, but, you know, it's, it's generally a lot of the people will learn, but there are those people that are stuck in the mud and don't want to learn anything else. They're quite happy with their clockwork mechanism locos and away they go. <laughs> Well, speaking of clockwork me- mechanism locos, as, as I had trouble sleeping last night, as one does, I'm still basically working more than full time. So the lockdown for me is as much an observation as it is anything else. But uh, yeah, I had trouble sleeping last night and I was watching a YouTube video about the history of Hornby. And I realized I really knew very little about Hornby, although honestly, my grandfather was exclusively Hornby O-scale. The only stuff yeah. he ever purchased was Hornby. And it made me feel like getting in contact with my eldest uncle that got my entire, my grandfather's entire Hornby collection and just saying, does he remember my grandfather going to a specific hobby store or was it all mail order? And what fascinated me through this is that you talk about the difference between big companies and little companies. I agree entirely. The service that I've received from, you know, individuals as opposed to big companies is, is amazing through this. Do you think the big companies will be able to weather through this thing as well as the you know individual because my experience through the lockdown is that the the larger the corporation the less likely they are to actually maintain the quality of service through this period and then you start to wonder will i be in business by the end um i suppose speaking from sort of two sides of the hobby you've got the if you take the hornby which is fairly local to us in kent Mm. they they were talking about bringing a lot of the manufacturing back from china which in a way would be a lot better for them to weather into uh, issues like this. And then you've got people like AccuCraft uh, for the live steam garden rail. I was talking to Andy just prior to the lockdown. The factory that produces their locos is very close to the initial outbreak of the COVID. And he was saying that it, it just stops and there's no communication, but <laughs> it will pick up again. So, One hopes. One hopes, well, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like anything, their locos are well sought after. And the same as Hornby now, because Hornby's mindset has changed from the train set type hobby to the more specialist and their approach. In fact, there was a, a really good program a couple of years ago. I think it was on Channel 4 or ITV over here. It was behind the scenes showing how Hornby works and mm. their development, not, not just the railways, but also the airfix um, plastic kits. And they're attention to detail has quadrupled really the locos are astonishingly well detailed now very good runners yes you're paying paying the price for it but as they said you know the, the quantity they've got to produce limits you know what they can manufacture but also the pricing is is reasonably good because there's a lot of um outlets over here that will cut the price but i suppose Hornby being a traditional if you go back to when they first started yeah they were a premium product mm. Um, and they were a lot of money. They were, you know, that was your your upper class sort of living room running around <laughs> in the circle of track. It, it wasn't a 
a sort of working class toy. Exactly. Whereas, yeah. Whereas today the market is completely changed for that. It is interesting that the FX Hornby, you know, I mean, obviously FX has the far more kind of torrid and turbulent, you know, onto the European mainland back and what have you. But it is interesting when FX moved into Hornby, the change in quality and perception of their trains, in particular, as you say, as a premium market, there's a movement that a lot of these companies have where they move from thinking of themselves catering to children to catering to adults. And it does change the dynamic through that. I didn't realise Hornby was based in Kent, though. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. In fact, their, their old warehouse where they used to produce um, the, the models, they've actually turned it over now to like a, a museum and they're storing a lot of full-size logos and rolling stock in Gosh. there. Uh, I think they've got about a dozen pieces of the kit there. I mean, it, it is a big site. Um, but, you know, they've still got a museum there and their head office which was a, one of these sort of spanking new glass edifices, <laughs> fairly local, they realised it's too expensive. So they've actually moved back into their original offices now. Wonderful. So, um, yeah, but I mean, with, with them, I suppose, yeah, they can keep going. But obviously, demand is going to be mostly China at the moment, whether that comes through. Um, people like Roundhouse on the 60 mil side yes. is a better, better place because everything is produced at Doncaster. Certainly. Uh, but you're not... I suppose one thing is, as you know, between Roundhouse and AccuCraft is Roundhouse are built to run, they're very robust and not as well detailed, whereas the AccuCraft are a little bit more finicky to run, they're a lot more delicate and they've got a lot more detail. So, you know, you've got both sides. And they've been putting out some interesting emails recently that they're reintroducing a few of their old models mm. uh, from Roundhouse. So obviously there's a huge demand still there for them. And as you know, the Garden Rail Society... Um, they're itching to have their show in, I think it's November. Yes. Um, they've penciled it in a moment. Now, whether that does happen, uh, I think people are, are still sort of uh, just wait and see. They're not, yeah. you know, they don't want to push these things. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it does come in November, it's a nice, nice trip out to Peterborough to have a look around and keep your hands in the pockets and not spend anything. Hopefully. <laughs> Touch wood. It, it is interesting because as we've talked through these shows, the thing that has caught me particularly yeah. around, you know, COVID and the change in the hobby is any outdoor show is going to obviously have slightly, you know, less, I don't know, psychological burden for want of a better term than obviously meeting in large halls and these kind of things. And I thought this is potentially a real, you know, this is potentially a substantial increase in interest in, you know, Garden Railroad and, you know, live steam specifically, as you know. And it's wonderful to see that Roundhouse is actually acknowledging that as well. Do you get a sense through the emails that their actually their orders have substantially increased and people are now thinking about, okay, if we're going to do this thing again, it's going to have to be outdoors. It probably needs to really bring in the punters. Live steam makes a lot of sense here. I mean, do you think that's actually happening currently? Um, I think actually Roundhouse are well-placed because they play the market so well. Um, what they used to do right there, uh, the Peterborough show was – unveil a new loco but he wouldn't say anything prior to um, the show so they can guarantee they're going to sell a lot of bits and yes. I think yeah they will carry on and they will know they've got a good market and I suppose um, the 60 Mill Society they've they've actually been wearing the storm quite well lately in fact they've done a, a, a virtual show one mm. of the only associations to do that um, which should have been the Peterborough show and it was very well done um, I think what people learn from looking at other people's um, sort of videos is to do it well, not to put lots of chat in there, 
make sure the quality is excellent. Certainly. I've watched a few where it's very rough. People haven't sort of gone through what they should be talking about. They get lost in their conversation. Yes. Um, and the video is, is, is a bit shaky. And I'd rather have one minute of very good video than five minutes of very wobbly. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've seen through the quilting community, which I haven't yet seen through the model train community, is associate. So in the quilting community, they have this idea of shop hops, which are where all the local quilt stores open and you go from quilt store to quilt store to quilt store. And that's very much part of the quilting culture. And it isn't just in the San Francisco Bay Area. It, in fact, exists in a number of different locations as well. So they are now doing these virtual shop hops, which means that all these one, two, three person, you know, shops are now all doing videos, putting them all together of their latest stock and what have you. And then periodically, my wife's watching one this afternoon, which is why it's so front of, front of center of my thinking. And you can see all the new stuff that they're doing as you would have done if you had gone to the stores. So it's interesting. I've been following uh, your local, you know, Kent Garden Railways quite a bit as well. And it's interesting how he's changed his business practices um, through this period as well. Because, I mean, obviously, if he if he went out of business, it would be a substantial you know, loss to your broader community, probably an improvement to your general finances, but still a loss to your community. And it's interesting to see where, obviously, you know, brick-and-mortar stores have to think very dynamically through this period as well. Have you seen, I mean, obviously, you have immediate needs, your crew has immediate needs with regards to you know, things you need to buy. But the browsing element of the hobby has been lost through, unless you do online browsing, I guess. What What are your thoughts with regards to the individual, you know, the, the small stores where people still bought trains? I mean, they were already on the outs, basically. But what are your thoughts with regards to this? I can only really talk about visiting Andy's shop, which you know is like a little haven. Um, <laughs> and it's I go past there every week because my mum is fairly local mm. to that shop. And he's in there doing his mail order. I know he's there his car's there. But the, the, the days that we do go in there prior to this happening was I could just lose myself in there for an hour while the wife goes into <laughs> the local shops. And you can just have a chat with Andy. You know, that, that's, I think that's pretty rare these days. And yes. I've been fortunate. I've been involved with a few shops prior to Andy's shop where that was the nature of the shop where it's about going in, having a chat, having a look, having a, a feel of something to see what it's all about and not being pressured to buy anything. Mm. And I think that's, I think Martin would agree with this, is when you go, go into Andy's, it's difficult to get out. It's, it's like, you know, it's not to us. I don't know if you, everybody's watched, um, there's a program, a shop called Auntie, uh, Auntie Wainwright's in it. Uh, last of the summer wine and you always come out with something you might not have gone in there thinking you're going to buy something but you come out with something and that sort of shop is rare I mean Andy's in a unique position in that he's tapped into the garden rail yes. market heavily and he's got a huge following for that and that's all over the world that following Certainly. But also because he does a broad spectrum of um, parts from American he does engage H-O-O double O some of the, the more narrow gauge models as well. So he's got a, a, a massive market in different aspects. And with the website now and his mailed order, the phone is always ringing when he's in there. Yes, and I think people underestimate that, you know, he, he runs that shop on his own. He has a helper every now and then when he does shows. But he's there six days a week on his own. Yes. And, you know, you've got to take your house to people like that because he's a massive contribution to the hobby. And also it gives a lot back by talking to people. Definitely, definitely. I mean, there are these cost 
cost-cutting shops. Let's mess with them. You read that the Rowing Modern and let's mess with them. And when you talk to them, it's very one-sided conversation. Yes. You don't get much. Yes. And that's not the sort of shop I like. I'd rather go into these shops. And Andy, Andy is good. He will match prices. You know, and that's, you know, I said to him, I'm not bothered about the discount, but it's having a shop that's local is the more important thing. Definitely. Definitely. No, was, I mean, look, I might have told this story, but I'm going to tell it again. I was at the Narragage Convention last year, and he had a launch offering through Acrocraft. So I had this surreal kind of Kent Cumberwest <laughs> in some Sacramento hotel experience. So, I mean, his reach is international, without question. Yes. And, you know, hats off to what he does. I mean, I've got a, I've got a Hornby Loco right in front of me that was a casual purchase in his place, just because you feel when you go into a, a store that is clearly so well-run, so well-loved, even as a tourist, you need to make a contribution to this thing. And it's wonderful that he clearly is, or it sounds like he's got all the pieces in place to weather the storm too. Uh, because I think what's really important is that the, as you say, the friendly local stores where you can go in, have a bit of a chat, and then accidentally purchase some stuff is, you know, still a critical element in this hobby. And it will be interesting. I mean, the projections that we get here seem to indicate that this thing could go on well into next year. I mean, we are in a very peculiar and particular part of the world for this. But, yeah, we are getting, you know, advised candidly that, you know, we should assume into next year, basically, with regards to health, particularly with lack of vaccines and this kind of stuff. So that will all change if vaccines are presented. And But I think in general, the the psychological aspect of this thing is irrespective of what, you know, as you say, irrespective of what may come down from the powers on high, people are going to make their own choices and they're going to make their own choices very much around their own safety, the safety of those around them. And yeah, it, I think what's interesting in the discussions that I've had in the previous few shows is people's assessment of how the hobby will change based on this. What's your general feeling? I mean, obviously you've been able to focus very much on your you know, your layout and the uh, 16 amazing 16 millimeter work that you do as well. What's your view with regards to how the hobby will change through this? I think I just got myself into a routine now where mm. it will carry on as it is because that's how it is with me. And I think a lot of other people have got a similar, similar views. Um, you see people trying new things, which is good because it opens up other doors for them. Uh, now, whether that continues, whether uh, the momentum for that continues with people because I suppose cost is a big issue. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do that are fairly cheap and there's a lot of things that you can't because of the costs. Yeah. I suppose when the, when the shows do start again, it'd be interesting to see how they're presented and what the take-up of visitors is. Um, I know traders will, will definitely be itching to get out there. Now, whether layouts will be the same. I don't know. Mm. Um, I think there's a, an air of concern at the moment. I think you're right about it could go into next year. Uh, when shops do open, there'd be a reluctance to visit them. And I suppose at the moment, I would be very reluctant to want to go into Andy's shop if anybody else is in there because it's so small. Yes. Um, and being in close proximity to someone, there isn't, any, you know, the aisle always is, is a one-person aisle. Believe so me, yes. You, you can't circulate. <laughs> yeah. um, and I suppose... Because we've been effectively locked up now for 10 weeks, you do become very concerned when you go out. Um, and I suppose it's breaking that 
sort of frightening aspect to it. When, you know, the infection rate does diminish, um, things are quieting down, hopefully it will get back to normal and hopefully, you know, the shows and all the bits that go along with it, going to the cafe, having a pint, seeing people you haven't seen for a long time, those are the things that are more important in the long run. Um, I think the social side and then the hobby, really. It's interesting, the war metaphor, which seems to be, you know, rolled out periodically. But the thing I find fascinating is actually how people's thinking has changed through this. And as you say, the things that we used to take for granted, obviously, are no longer taken for granted. Just what you said about the war, then. My mum went through the war, um, and she was um, a young girl at the time, and she was uh, packed off to Banbury Mm. uh, to live with someone she didn't know. And all that went along with it. And when you hear what she said about the war and how people, the, the whole attitude of people was completely different to what it was after the war when everybody went back into their own little world again. Um, the friendliness, the helpfulness, and that's going on now. Now, whether that continues, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the older generation have seen this and they can relate to what's happening now. Yes. So. Yeah. Simon, in terms of your, since we last spoke, let's get back to your, your part of the hobby. Since we last spoke, what has been going on? What have you been up to? Obviously, the good weather might be in- inhibiting you in some regard, but what are you working on? Um, I've been building this little uh, critter for the last couple of weeks, and the, the sound chip's come through, so Wonderful. I've been tussling, putting the sound chip in that <laughs> last couple of days, and it's fitted and it works, so I'm very glad of that. And Martin has got one, I know it's broken, so actually mm. we'll probably be getting our heads together to do something similar with that. Um, Next is to, I've got some drawing work to do for the gantry cranks. I've now got all the materials come through. So that's probably going to be a week on the drawing board and then cutting and soldering lots of brass. So that will probably keep me going to the next show, I should think. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, please keep posting your photos. The photo updates are wonderful and uh, it's yeah a great opportunity. I mean, I, I saw your space before and after. I was thinking about this just before I came on the call. So I had the luxury of seeing, you know, two phases, basically, of your journey with regards to the current layout. And, yeah, I still live in hope that I will see the, the third phase um, upon completion. So please keep posting the photos. Wonderful catching up today. You know how we do things. We've got Martin coming up next. If he throws anything out there that you want to jump into, please feel free to unmute and come back on the call. But pleasure chatting. Stay safe. Thank you, Tom. I would like to welcome back on Martin Coombs. Look, we have been talking about a wide variety of things with Simon. I understand that the, you, you posted that Kent Garden Railways is, is going online. My understanding was that they had some online presence, but is that being ramped up? Yeah, well, it, it's it's a possibility. Uh, he, he is hugely uh, adding stock mm. to his online presence. And because uh, he, he had some experience before full lockdown where he had some customers in the shop and they just really weren't adhering to sort of guidelines and, mm. and uh, stuff like that. And he, he saw his own health quite rightly at risk sure. uh, and it really wasn't worth it. And because uh, online does so well, he, I mean, he was just sort of talking about the, the question in, does it need to have an actual shop? I mean, that may well all change if a vaccine mm. comes and all that malarkey, but it, it, it's a possibility, which is a much better possibility than having nothing at all. So, although having said that, we, our club, uh, we can get stuff 
uh, from for our rowing club, but that's by uh, one nominated club member, mm. one of the club secretary. And if we want anything collected, uh, he gathers up and sorts out the collection and just does one visit. Yes, uh, and and gets stuff for you. So as, as a club, we're lucky. So you know, we, we support the shop. The shop supports us. So it, it, it's still a resource. But, I mean, it's early days. It, these were just thoughts because uh, he, he, he joined a Zoom meeting of oh, our railway oh, club uh, a couple of weeks back. And uh, it was just sort of, you know, just general chat. There's, there's a, a possibility because we was all talking about the way forward. Uh, we were talking about exhibitions and the viability of those and, and generally everything, really. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was just uh, something that's things are evolving. Um, and, Certainly, you know, online presence is key uh, these days, and and it gives a much wider audience for these smaller suppliers and, and smaller shops, rather than just sort of the on foot stuff or, or people needing to be very local. So, so interesting times. I'm sure if there's a demand, the hobby will evolve. Suppliers will appear, <laughs> uh, and, or and, just as you say migrate from physical presence to online presence and, you know, learn from. I mean, what's interesting, I think, particularly with your local shop, is that he knows the banter, right? He knows what made his shop great as a local shop. And actually translating that online is where it gets really interesting because I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that local shop... I mean, people have always joked with me that Model Rail Radio has aspects of the kind of local store banter. And what was particularly funny is seeing Jim Lincoln on location in a hobby store because he's even more Jim Lincoln than he is on the podcast, right? <laughs> so you have these interesting characters that are hobby store characters and many of them have migrated. The professor might be another one. Um, have migrated over to the podcasting form in some regard. But yeah, it's interesting. The notion of what does this hobby become if it becomes even more online than it has been historically? And is what do you see as terms of the benefit of the local shop, which couldn't be replicated online? Or do you think basically this large influx of, of media, videos, everything recreates the best aspects of the train store online? The advantage of going to a shop, um, um, for certain things anyway, is, is you can physically see mm. what it is uh, that you potentially want to buy. But, you know, for things like, I don't know, uh, styrene sections for, <laughs> for, for, a, for a small thing, you can see a picture online, but unless it's got uh, a ruler next to it, for argument's sake, yes. Uh, uh, and if they've detailed it correctly with the sizes, uh, you, you can't get a. Uh, you can't always judge it as that's the thing you want. Uh, and at least in the in the shop, you can see the rack of stuff and think, well, that's oh, I, yeah, I, I might have gone in for like two mil angle or something. <laughs> and, and you and you see the two mil angle and you think, oh, actually, no, it needs to be that's going to be too big or too small or yeah. whatever. It's it's things like that will, will be useful. The seeing certain items. Actually, the one saving is not going to the shop. You don't spend so much. <laughs> the, the times, and I know Simon's been caught with it as well. You go in for just a pot of paint and some glue, and you always come out of a loco <laughs> or some coaches and stuff that you didn't know you wanted yes. uh, until you'd gone in there. So there is that side of things. But Browsing is a double-edged sword, right? I mean, what you're talking about fundamentally is browsing. And although yes. I think people have learnt how to do that online as well in some regard, it's not really the same thing as going into – I mean – Kent Gun Railways is a very small store for, by any stretch of the imagination, completely and utterly packed with stuff. 
So you have a very, it's almost like the TARDIS, I felt, going into it, you know. You see the small story, you're like, how can it be? And then you get inside and you're like, wow. <laughs> but it is interesting. The one thing that local stores have been really good for, which I think is my concern in this discussion, is bringing in new people into the hobby. How do you think that is going to change? Do you think the online presence is actually doing that maybe even better than the stores have historically? Or do you think there's, there's going to be a gap in the hobby of people entering it because they don't have the local store to wander into? I, I think online is, is helping a lot uh, because of you know, things like Facebook for all its faults. It The railway side of it mm. is really vibrant uh, mm. and, and massively so at the moment. It's just a constant feed of stuff people are doing. And in fact, the, the club community, the, the shop browsing community is forming in things like Facebook and, and whatever might else come along. And if you're full, you're fed a lot of stuff from other people who have found things and there's a lot of knowledge and it's very quick. It's almost instant. Some of the replies and the advantage is your pool of knowledge is world is comes from worldwide Mm. as opposed to from a local aspect. And from worldwide, there's could be stuff that, you know, you're looking into, I don't know, you might want this particular part or, or set of gears or something to repair a loco. If you're in a shop, and it is only local. And say, oh, well, Hornby haven't gone and Backman don't supply them, and, mm. and I've no idea where you get them. But there's a good chance someone online says, "Oh, there's a company in Germany called whatever. <laughs> uh, here's the link. And, you know, you can buy them by the you know yes. packs of twenty for a euro or something." Yes. Uh, and and before the lockdown, mail order was was very quick and and very efficient. So there's it swings and roundabouts, I suppose. You, you win some, you lose some with it. But it's I don't know, it's, it's so difficult to call at the moment, you know, which, which way it's going to... Uh, exhibitions, I can't see them mm. kicking off how they used to be for at least, even if they do come back, at least a year or two, uh, or unless they're radically changed where yes. they've got to be held. But maybe there's less exhibitions, but they're bigger, but held in a much bigger venue. Yes. So the spacing is viable. Could we do a thing where you display your layout but it's high behind a perspex wall, yeah. and that has its own ramifications of, yeah. of visibility. But you could also have barriers, that there's a minimum distance of barrier. How uh, difficult, though? I mean, practically, you, I, I'm seeing this with California, particularly Los Angeles School District is, you know, putting out all these guidelines for reopening. None of that would ever work. They're talking about giving kids individual balls, you know, 16 kids to a room, perspex up. You're just like, this is a school, like... It, Five different phases, three hours. Of, who knows what happens to the teachers over 15 hours worth of working. But you have all these... Once you start putting in the constraints to any of these things, you start having circumstances where you just think this... I mean, the stuff that you guys do, historically, have always had, you know, tens, if not in some cases, potentially hundreds of people crowding to try and get visibility and to see what... You know, see each of the vignettes that your layouts all have. I mean... Practically, do you think once they start layering in, you know, all these considerations, it's just not going to be practical? No, it, it's not. I mean, uh, our layouts, well, some of them, you, you need to be fairly close to appreciate yes, what's yeah. going on and, yeah. and to see see stuff. So this is sort of a, I don't know, I, I don't know what the solution is. <laughs> uh, it, it's very difficult to sort of call. And I think everybody's sort of looking at everybody else. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> thinking. Well, you go, you go. No, I go. 
<laughs> and, until something comes up. I, I mean, the, the best call is a vaccine that cures everything. Oh, and uh, we're, we're all back to, well, I, I, we can't ever get back to normal because too much has gone wrong already. Yes. Uh, the, the financial business side of things is a, well, can't see it ever pulling out of that very quickly. Yeah. So uh, it, it's awkward. Let's talk it's, about, uh, you know, garden live steam, because I think that's mm-hmm. one aspect of the hobby where you could, but again, you need substantial space to do it in, but you do avoid a lot of the, you know, confined space, you know, open air, small scale, perhaps. I mean, I can just imagine, <laughs> just imagine a ticketing booth with, you know, social distancing requirements in effect, maybe only allowing a hundred people in at a given time. I mean, all, all these things aside. Do you think garden railways and live steam have an ability to weather this thing perhaps slightly better than, you know, the stuff that you guys do indoors? I, I think so. And uh, in, in small groups, the, the sort of local, in, in the Kent area, we have the Kent Band of the 16ml Association. Mm. And we, during the summer, uh, hold our own garden meetings, which all the members come, bring their stock and, and run the line. Mm. So, and that. You know, with a, a bit of sense, you could sort of social distance, uh, yes. depending if the layout's big enough. Uh, I mean, Ken's line's certainly big enough. My line will be big enough. Yes. Uh, it, it's possible. Or we just just have a few of us, a normal small band yeah. that can do it and, and maybe video it, you know, broadcast it uh, and, and, and show it. Or have groups of four people. Uh, maybe you could have time slots. Maybe you could have like a two, three hour time slot, uh, a couple of those through the day where there's groups of people can come in and see the line hmm. uh, and, and operate it. Uh, in fact, and some, sometimes there's enough space on mine. You could space half a dozen people out who never even need to go anywhere yes. near each other yes, uh, all day if, if required. Yes. And, and there is the, although we're allowed to now have this, uh, six uh, groups of six people and and if you're within five miles one person can go and visit and stuff uh i mean the saying that you're allowed it is one thing it doesn't make anything nothing's changed certainly psychologically physically. yeah, yeah. You, know, you can say anything. you can say 10 people you can say yeah. 50 people you can say two people makes no odds but yes. only time will tell but i think we'll probably end up we'll stay in our own small groups and, mm. and you know you know yourselves how you are where you've been and if if there's a group of you uh, who have been very self-disciplined, you're pretty safe as a group to probably meet mm-hmm. and, and operate a railway uh, or do some work and stuff like that. But it's you know it's going to take a while. It, it'll be nice to get back to those sorts of things it will. so that we can, we can <laughs> uh, operate stuff. I mean, I've actually got out. I mean, I haven't done much railway modelling at all for the last oh, month or so because. Well, work's got me so busy. Uh, I've been sort of held up with that. <laughs> I, I interspersed times with doing a bit of sticking or a bit of gluing. And, yes. Uh, one day I got out for a couple of hours. Actually, I went to see Ken. Mm. Uh, How's Ken uh, doing? I mean, he's, he's fine. He's, he hasn't been out of his place for months. Gosh. Uh, and But, you know, he's, he's in that sort of seven, eight acres. Uh, yes. He's quite happy there. He's, I'm he's assuming he's and, got a bunker full of amazing can fruits and vegetables and things. I mean, I just assume from the space he's utilized, you know, he doesn't need to get out and get food or anything. In fact, when I think of, when I think of Ken's place, I think of, you know, any kind of apocalypse, I think Ken would be safe for probably the longest of any of us. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, he, 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 could, he could stay in for a couple of months after an apocalypse and not even be aware it happened. <laughs> <laughs> he could go down the end of the, you know, go to go out of his place and think, oh, hang on, what's happened here? <laughs> but, now he's, I, I don't know if you remember that when you uh, you drive up to Ken's on the drive, there was a there's a, a smaller bungalow on the right. Certainly, yeah. Right. yeah, no, but definitely. That's, that's his daughter's place. Wonderful. So his daughter and partner, they are the ones that go up and do all the shopping for them. Ah, okay. So he's been absolutely fine with supplies. Gosh. He's uh, he's had a he's done a lot of work uh, mm. on the place. He's uh, on the points. I don't remember we changed him. We just used oh, to yeah. pull a bolt, bolt out of the tire oh, yeah. bar, boot it over, and then put <laughs> the bolt in. Well, he's made point levers now. Wonderful, wonderful. So we've we've there's, they've, we've he's welded up a load of point levers, so that's uh, more efficient. His neighbour uh, wanted a lot of manure. Mm. And I don't know if you saw the pictures I've shoved up in the feed uh, uh, on the chat, but mm. you can uh, the one of Ken right by that <laughs> cliff face. Now that that's how much of the compost has gone. Gosh. Uh, his his neighbour's got a dumper truck, so he leaves it at Ken's gosh, drive gosh, in the morning. Gosh. Ken fills it up during the day and parks it back there, and he <laughs> he shifted about twenty dump, dumper loads. So. Gosh. He's been busy, but he had a. He's been doing the skips on his own, which is all right. And with his grandson, has been helping because yes. his grandson lives obviously in the bungalow next door. Certainly. Uh, and he just rang me up one day and and said, you know, if you, you want to come over, we can social distance, not a problem, mm. and do the skips. And Lovely. I thought, yeah, why not? So uh, I went over there. It was nice to catch up. Uh, actually, Neil's been over there. Uh, he went over the other day to get some manure. Wonderful. And uh, he, he came back with two bags of manure and Ken's uh, Katie Roundhouse loco. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The radio control has uh, ah, yes, yeah. So uh, Neil's going to fix that for him. But garden railway stuff, I've been painting a set of five coaches. I can't remember if I said that last time, but I've been painting those, mm -hmm. which you can only mask off, paint, leave mask off paint leave and stuff like that certainly some resin garden buildings i've uh, been painting those uh, on and off there's uh, the turntable i've been painting and i had to make a jig for that in the end because it was quite awkward to hold it you, you need to hold it's a very heavy resin turntable but you need to hold it upright yes to be able to paint the walls and it was quite awkward so i just made a little uh jig just to hang the thing on which uh, actually you should see it now yes certainly uh, Wonderful. So it's, it's just a simple jig. And, of course, it spins on that dowel in the middle that's passing through. So it's very easy to paint the brick walls when I get round to doing those. Uh, and Neil has been uh, very busy with his 3D printer. Mm. Uh, I had a little uh, parcel arrive. Which, uh, <laughs> there's a photo there. He's been uh, producing uh, these pipe bends and flanges. Yes. And, uh, he's made, he's printed some louvadors, which we'll be using for one of the bread guy locos, but he's, he's did me a set, well, as an example in 16 mil, seven mil and four mil. Mm. And, uh, they're really impressive. So those I've got to assemble up with the pipes and, uh, primer them and weather them as just as a trying out the prototypes to see what they're going to look like. So it's uh, quite looking forward to doing that, but, Work isn't allowing me to to Believe get to me. that that stage, but uh, I've also <laughs> the garden line, I've made some. Uh, we had some timbers, uh, sleeper timbers Ooh, left over nice. from the uh, first Sunday in June <laughs> layout. So uh, I've made them up into these little uh, uh, sleeper built buffer stops. Mm, beautiful. So I need eight, uh, and, and the they're the usual sort of square 
angled things. How do you anchor them in the ground? I mean, because obviously there will be potentially some force hitting them at some stage. What kind of anchoring do you use? I don't know if you can see. Can you see that one? I just put a picture up with one of them. Uh, oh, okay. It's actually it's actually bolted on at the end. It, it will be. Uh, okay. Can you see the ones uh, in the picture of the ones that are painted there or okay. they're soaked in Korea? So they're, they're on a, a ply base. Uh, okay, interesting. So what I'll do, that ply base, I'll screw through. Because my track, although you can't see on there, it's actually on there's wooden battens mm. going parallel with the track. So I'll screw those buffer stops to the wooden battens. And, and so they're, they're fixed to the baton, so they won't be able to go anywhere. Uh, so that's, but that's, uh, I, I, it was quite interesting, therapeutic, because you can only glue a few bits at a time. Sure. And uh, I just stuck another picture up at the workbench. That was my uh, production line. So in between, <laughs> yeah, I'll I, I do an hour at work, and then, uh, whip up, up to the shed and, and glue a little batch of sleepers together Gosh. to leave them. And, and battles are forward. So over a period of time, uh, I, I made these uh, buffer stops. Wonderful. So uh, there's had a number of little projects. Uh, I'm, the coaches I needed to make. You get uh, Simon's had has done the same ones. The Swift 16 coaches. Mm. The seats you get are just a, a resin uh, molding, which is fine. But when you uh, put them in the coach, because they haven't got any ends, uh, you through the window you can. I uh, didn't like you'd be able to see sort yeah, of through the, the side of the sheet. Yeah, certainly. So what I did, I, I made some drawings up, uh, and I laser cut some MDF sides and, and braces, which I stuck a picture up. And then when you stick it in with the uh, resin seat, as you'll see, come up, they make nice little seat units. Yes, beautiful. That, that base it's on there at the moment is just purely a jig for drilling, uh, for gluing mm. and holding it in, in place. Interesting. And uh, they've all been, uh, when I had a moment, they're in primer at the moment. So then I've got to do the, the top colors and the coaches don't have any floor detail they just have a, a resin casting so i drew up again the floor uh planking and this Ooh. is a uh, it's, it's going to be a three it's three mil plywood i'm cutting these out on the laser very nice uh, engraving the planking and i've made little notches at the sides because uh i think i saw that picture i've got the seat mm, cut out. there's a little tab at the bottom certainly of each one so they locate into the floors and, and glue so what i'll be able to do and then this will be bolted down into the coach so i can paint them and detail them on the bench and then when i'm finished i just drop them in the coach and just bolt them to the floor Wonderful. and that's it done so Wonderful. the dark thing is though once all the windows are in it's on the line you probably won't even see any of this well, anyway i was going to ask about that because i mean the way the way to get that visible is to just drop a little light or something right to add yeah. a little light to it so you know i'm not sure you know how one would power that in this circumstance i'm not sure if your power track it probably not as not a garden one but it's interesting the nature of doing these super detailing internal things because you then need to just as you say draw the eye into the carriage it's this stuff it's I don't, it doesn't need to be done but i'm just one of those people that <laughs> you know i i just have to try and go a, another step as it were mm. uh with, with with stuff and uh yeah so these are these have just been little jobs that i can just certainly do as and when I get a moment. It doesn't matter if they're not done, uh, but it's, uh, you know, I'm building up a, a whole raft of stuff that if I do get a, a quiet moment, it's it's bits and pieces I, I can jump on. And uh, looking at Simon's uh, video of that uh, and pictures he put up recently of that Baldwin kit he's done. Yes. Blimey, it's <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to give up. <laughs> well, you know, you, 
The important thing about a crew is assembling a group of people which force you to raise your standards, and you've done that very well. I mean, you also do that well for other members of your crew that look at your work and have a similar... But the kind of internal competitive, not even really competitive, just showing the amazing talents that you all have, hats off to you. It, yeah, because it was interesting, because I'd looked, when I was building it, I built the kit a few years ago, and I, I looked at, it was nice to put sound in, but I just couldn't work out a way of doing it. And the pickups I had uh, problems with, uh, they are very tricky uh, on that kit. And then when I saw the pictures of what Simon's done, I thought, ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> that, that makes sense. But it's it's nice to see someone else's approach to it. Certainly. And and the stuff, I, to be honest, and, and he's, what he's done is just so neat. Uh, it's uh, It'd be nice to sort of get somewhere near that sort of standard in yes. my stuff. Uh, but it's uh, the, the locos I find the trickiest. I'm much happier with scenery, buildings, painting, mm-hmm. stuff that's uh, got more of a freestyle element, shall we say, or more, more of a free hand. Certainly. Where Certainly. sort of super precision accuracy isn't uh, it needed. Yeah, I, the, I understand completely. The, the freedom yeah. of flow and, and splashing on colour, I'm, I'm really happy with that. And that, that suits me. And I understand conversely, because there's still guys in the club art I'm showing how to do stuff, but they don't get how I do the colouring mm. uh, and, and bits and pieces and, you know, what special paints. A lot of it isn't. I just make it up on the fly. It's, Certainly. That's the hardest thing. But, I mean, you need – this is the difficulty here because you need an eye. The eye is what is really difficult to train here, right? You have a particular yeah. eye, which you've used professionally. I mean, we all have – you know, various skills that we try to put in our profession, if at all possible. But the, how do you train someone who doesn't have an eye to have an eye? I don't think you can, to be honest. You, you can you can look for glimmers of it, mm. but it's it's like you know you've either got it or you haven't. I mean, yeah. For me, my mind is an art background. I've trained in art. I've always been into art and drawing and painting and stuff like that. So, coloring and uh, composition and aesthetics have always just been a, a natural to me. I, I can look at things and immediately know, well, that's too small. That's in the wrong position. This is that, you know, but my sort of art world has always been governed by the rule of thirds for, yes. for composition and, and stuff like that. And you, you carry it through photography, but then conversely engineering, I, I, I just can't, uh, well, if the engineering I struggle with and, and really how Simon does what he does and he's, he's, he knows what he wants at the end, but then he works out the jigs and, and the machining tools and the process of how he's going to carve that piece of metal yes. into the final form, which is, you know, it's, it's perfect in, in all its dimensions and functions. <laughs> Whereas I don't get, and, and also with Neil, the electronics, I mean, you look, if I look at a circuit board and it just means absolutely nothing to me. Yes. But then they'll look at it and go, well, that's a transistor, that's a whatever, this is a that, that's a that, and this will do that. And he'll know what all the bits do. But to it's me, it's interesting it just looks you mentioned like training, a- though. I mean, I think training here is, is, I mean, you have an art background, you've been trained formally. Obviously, although I was looking back at, you know, electronics books I had in, you know, my prior to turning, you know, 10, 12, 15, I had a lot of electronics books. Well, not a lot, I had half a dozen that were so heavily well thumbed through. And it was just an obsession for me. And I think naturally certain people gravitate to certain areas. Obviously your experience with art is the same, but you know, there's still a nuance there, which you're, you're getting to, which means that anyone who doesn't have that skill has to put in vastly more effort 
in order to get into that space. So I, I, I suppose you could give people hints. Mm. I mean, with colour, mm. you can talk about the colour theories, and a lot of colour is is observation of the real world. Yes, and I that's a lot of when I first start with people when they, when they are talking about it, I say you can't make this up without reference. Mm. You need to look at something. So if you're going to weather a building, look at buildings and really look at them. You'll look down the sort of the edge where it joins the, the ground. There'll be dirt splashed up. Certainly. If you look at the windows, the end of the sills, if you look very carefully, quite often you'll see a darker staining mm. where water has run off over years. You'll see where moss has grown, where there's either damp or it's been in the shade a lot of its life. You'll see... Uh, Colours of bleached where they've been in the sun. There's a whole raft of colours and brickwork. And the amount of people who just get a bright red and just paint, that's my bricks done. No, look at just just literally pick up a brick mm. on its own <laughs> and really look at how many colours and fragments yes. and bits and pieces it's made up of. And once you once you get a feel for that, and trees, how many people paint trees and, and they've got a chocolate brown trunk? There's, there's, <laughs> there's very, very few trees in this world that yes. have got a chocolate brown trunk. Yes. Most of them are silvery grey. Yes. You look at them. So it is those things, and people have colours to inter- – I see people put static grass down, and it's that vibrant green uh, and vibrant yellows. Look out in your garden. It's yes. never, ever that bright. So, yeah, I, I suppose – I suppose it depends. To teach someone something, they need to have some reception, shall we say, to be able to receive this information. Some people, they just don't get colour. Some people just don't get composition. Uh, It's it's how you are. Uh, You know, engineering. I mean, engineering issues. And sometimes I'll look at something and think we need to resolve this, and then Ken will look at it. And, you know, he's, I've, I've been thinking of this real complex thing that will need to do this. And he'll look at it and go, well, if you just put a bar there and a hole in it and put a nail <laughs> for it, that will do exactly yes. what you want. Yes. So, you know, that, that's advantageous. And, I mean, Ken's got all the metal crafting and the welding skills. I mean, I've got an arc welder. Yes. And, and, and I've done welding training. I've been on a course for that. And I can sort of weld a bit, but I'm, not that great. So if I want anything worldly properly, uh, Ken does it and, yes. and, and does a sort of a, a lovely job. And, you know, I, I suppose I could try harder and, and get more sort of welding under my sort of belt, but it, it's, I, I don't know, it, it's tricky for me. I, mm. I don't know why uh, metal is, is a problem for me to work with. Wood, plastic, paper, card, mm. no problem. Uh, that's I'm just I'm comfortable with with that medium. It's it's just I don't, I, I, maybe I could learn some. I, mean, I can use tools, uh, and you know I've got bandsaw circles. I, I can strip my bandsaw down, mm-hmm. rebuild as I've had to recently because the motor burnt out. Yes, definitely. And I got by, and and I can do those sorts of things. I, well, I've restored classic cars, so most definitely I can, um, I can hold a spanner and a screwdriver yeah. and do bits and pieces. But the welding side of it, I haven't done on the cars. That's always someone else has done that. But it's it's interesting. I mean, that's why our group always has worked really well, anyway. You know, because it's it's we've all got an element Certainly. that we we can pull in. So we have quite a strong group of skills. Whereas if he was one person trying to do all of that, it would be very difficult hmm. to do the stuff that we're doing by just one individual. It's, uh, and you need 
you need the, the, the four different thinking heads looking at the problem. <laughs> so, because sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees. Without question. Yeah. When you're trying to sort something out. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, uh, how do we get onto that? Even in the audio editing, I'm like, <laughs> how do we end up there? Ah, okay. If you can find, if you played this whole thing backwards, you can answer that question. Martin, uh-huh. a, a topic I did want to raise with you, which may mm-hmm. be a very difficult topic, but I think one that fascinates me having been to Breadcar, we talk about what will happen to shows in terms of once a year things. Breadcar obviously has, in terms of operating cost, and an almost, I'm not sure whether it's a financial need, but obviously it gives great benefit associated with having frequent visitors coming, paying customers, really, to come and experience that. Do you get a sense of particularly social distancing, all these kind of things? I mean, that's the antithesis of the breedcar experience. Has there been, obviously, there's been a, a great loss with regards to the owner passing as well. Have, the, have you been back in contact with the breadcar folk? Do you get a sense of what their thinking is currently? No, basically. Uh, they There is a very, very small skeleton team mm. working down there, which are basically the ones that are on site there anyway. And they have invited a photographer down on the work days to social distance and take photographs mm. to sort of show that yeah, things are still happening. Things are being maintained. They are going through all the boiler inspections now at the moment. Oh, interesting. interesting. And uh, it, it's the, the locos are being prepared. Mm. And I think there was thoughts that possibly August, mm. but it's like everybody, nobody knows. Yes. But even if it was, uh, funny enough, I was talking to Ken about this the other day. How, how well, how many people are going to go? When, if you're going for a ride in a train, yeah. you can't really social distance that easily yeah. unless you severely limit the number of people in the, in the carriages. Certainly. Uh, or I suppose some of the, the, the ones where the seats go across and you've got a family of four or five, they could be on one row, mm. maybe leave a row or two, and you've got another family yes. and so forth. But you may just get three or four families in one coach. Yeah, no, it completely changes the whole... I mean, every aspect of this thing... Yeah, I'm in terms of the actual thing, in terms of breadcar as a thing, obviously the experiences of people, it's going to, irrespective of what comes down from above, associated with, oh, well, now you can have, you know, groups of 20 people or groups of 50 people or whatever, the actual psychological effect that this thing has had will reduce the number of people that will be willing to go to an environment like Breadgar anyway. Do you get a yeah. sense of that? I mean, has there been any, obviously, internally within Breadgar, they're doing very well for you know, getting the inspections together and getting all these pieces in place, but has there been any broader discussion of what Breadgar would look like, you know, when things get back to whatever they get back to? Not that I'm aware of uh, at the moment. It's, mm. There's sort of nothing sort of being said, I think, because they, they don't know, yes, I would certainly. say, because nobody knows at the moment. So to speculate and and yes. start to planning for something that could be a complete waste of time. To be honest, I can't see it opening this year. Yeah, certainly. That's 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 my gut feeling uh, for it. And you know, as you say, you know, you, you could say, oh, groups of twenty are allowed, but you know, people are once bitten, twice shy uh, with this. And and you can you could say hundreds of people are allowed in there, but your own self preservation is no, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, and. 
and the bread guard themselves will will think well the vast majority of the volunteers are in the in danger yeah most definitely most definitely Uh, a lot of the visitors are in the in danger bracket although we get a lot of young visitors they're quite often it's grandparents bringing grandchildren yeah and and there are lots of family groups which will have multi-generations there'll be the children the parents and the grandparents certainly intermingling with everybody and because it is uh, it's a very much a social people thing without question the, the, the trains are there and obviously they're the attraction the initial attraction and the tractors and the cars and, and all the other bits and pieces but it's a social gathering there's you see so many groups just getting together they're just chewing the fat yes. having a cup of tea or a coffee just ambly walking around and just chilling out and it's that aspect of it is 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 the big is the big thing and how how we get over that i mean it, it could work well as we said the vaccine there could be herd humi- uh, immunity, immunity yeah, yeah. that's that's i think is what's what the government's are going for uh at the moment they're sort of you need, you're going to need something like that to sort of get through this yes and i think mean, they're releasing the, the the lockdown a little bit here in a small way but i'm i'm suspecting that it's like it's like anything if you say to people oh six people can meet there'll always be eight and ten yeah that's always going to happen so don't say 10 because there'll be 15 and 16 yeah, certainly so if, if they keep it small saying six knowing for well it's going to be 10 10 probably enough to kick it all off again yeah but in in a smaller controlled way so there'll be flare-ups and uh, I think this is what they're. It, it, this is what they need. In, in all, all honesty, it needs smaller flare-ups that are con- much more controllable. And as a as a species, we we build up a, a, a resistance to it. Yeah, but I think there's something. I mean, I understand that from a kind of simulation perspective, which is obviously where a lot of these people come from. That they, you know, look at how simulations react when you change these parameters. I think there's a more important thing here, which is the psychology of the individuals within this has changed. You're always going to get, you know, 5, 10, 15% of the population that are going to say, oh, well, they say five people, well, let's get 10 together. They're typically younger. <laughs> They're always on camera. They tend to frequent beaches and various other gatherings. But I'm talking, I mean, in terms of, but that is a, is a small percentage. Within that group, many of them have already had it anyway. They haven't had the, symptoms so they haven't known there's no means of doing antibody testing so there's no way of knowing it what i'm really talking about is the more sensible of us perhaps and i think that's where a lot of this has not been calculated yes sure the kids are going to get together to you know drink and do what they need to do as, as kids do but for people that have actually experienced this thing and are adults who have any health concerns or have people in their immediate vicinity that have health concerns they are going to be a lot more conservative, for want of a better term, around how they approach this thing. So what fascinates me through this is, as you say, you know, various changes, but the the still the 50%, if they can, if they can, probably will not be running out and getting together in groups of, you know, 10, 20, what have you. And I think psychologically, as this thing continues, and we were talking with Simon a little earlier about this, the new normal becomes the normal. So it is going to be interesting, particularly when you look at things like Predcar, that really need, as you say, groups of people to a certain density, not whatever the you know top-down regulation says, whatever the government comes back and says, but actually whether people as a kind of collective group 
start to realize, hold it, wait, we can still get out. And this whole, as you say, herd immunity thing where you have these kind of bursts of infection, that's the antithesis of what a majority of the people want, right? You have, you have elderly, you know, relations and people in your, in your broader circle. A, a spark of the herd immunity there is fatalities, right? So it is fascinating to think about how the normal will change through this. Yeah, I can't see much changing, well, much happening until next year sometime. It's self-preservation, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to take a lot. So Simon to... makes an important point, which is really, Simon, if you can bring up your audio, you raised the issue that I was trying to kind of pussyfoot, for want of a better term, around with Martin. In terms of the running costs of Bredgar, obviously there need to be people there in order to maintain the current standards. I mean, what, what what's your thinking associated with Bredgar? I think I agree with Martin. I can't see it opening this year. I, Bill Junior, who now basically runs it, I don't think he's going to want to risk any of the health of the, the volunteers or the, the paid staff. Um, and we, as I've just put up, we need a, a lot of people on the site just to make it viable. Yes. And you can't keep that amount of people distant. Um, the cafe area, museum. Yes. Uh, well, just children. I mean, when you get a group of children, social distancing and uh, prior to this, you know, 80% of parents couldn't control children in a general circumstance. What makes you think after, you know, this experience, a group of children will not, you know, congregate accordingly. So, yeah. I mean, even with us on the engines, um, on the steam engine, you've got open verandas on the coaches and people stand on the open veranda and they're two foot away. <laughs> You're not going to stop them. Um, that won't happen. Yes. Um, and I don't really want to risk myself, certainly. certainly. I mean, yes, when the call comes to go back down and get on with the volunteering, yes, I'll, I'll probably be happy to do that because I know there's only normally four or five of us around on a work day. Yeah. And on that sort of site, you're not going to bump into people. Um, but overall, it's, it's, it's probably better to just carry on maintaining and then hopefully start afresh next year if and when we can. I think, I think we've all got the same view as we will go back when it is safe to um, and Bill will have the ultimate decision and he's not going to risk anybody's health until that decision is made by the government that it's gone, the, the virus. Yes, and I mean, when you talk about gone without a vaccine, that could be even longer than, I mean, you know, that's projected into the future. Quite yeah, long. I mean, we're given very mixed messages here about this vaccine. You know, mm. it, it, it could work, it might not. Well, it doesn't uh, it exist, be, right? So, I mean, it's, it. it's all kinds of speculation until it actually happens and Obviously, there's yeah. a certain group of politicians where their entire livelihoods and the livelihoods of all their backers requires a vaccine to be there. So to talk about it speculatively now improves the general feeling around their backers. But, you know, it's fascinating, fascinating times um, associated with, as you say, what we know, what we don't know and what's projected. So, yeah. I think that's... Sorry, sorry, Martin. It's something I have noticed uh, happening quite a lot lately is the... Uh, smaller heritage, well, the heritage lines in general are all in a problem because mm. they have no income and they've been setting up, uh, like GoFundMe pages mm. type of thing where people are donating money so that they can cover their basic costs. Certainly. Uh, and, and stuff just to keep them, their head just above water, as it were, to, to help ride this out. But, you know, there's going to be heritage railways that are, could could succumb mm. to this and you know there's there's stock that uh 
may need to be well if even if they tried to sell their stock it's like well, there's there's less heritage railways to buy it Certainly. and and haven't got any funds anyway yeah it, you know and you could just find that the whole heritage movement ends up doing how it started if you think about it but the heritage stuff ends up how the original railways were and just left to rot and decay yes until 30 40 years time yeah when a little band of people get together again and start unearthing this stuff that yeah that all stopped in 2020 yes yeah it's it's, it's that sort of apocalyptic type yes <laughs> view uh, on things looking at the worst case scenario there uh, but it, it's you know they've they've got to think of different ways and they're in a massive problem you know the so the whole social distancing thing you know that they need numbers they need Certainly. to fill up coaches that they need the cafes full up they need the shops full Certainly. up people buying stuff uh crikey it doesn't uh doesn't bear thinking about of uh what can be done you know it's we haven't pretty- we haven't paul best as well i wanted to bring his audio up because obviously right. he has a connection with a, a light railway as well paul do you have audio i do so obviously your your local light railway is in a similar circumstance. Yeah, so we haven't reopened at all since Christmas, um, and we told our volunteers not to visit uh, once the lockdown started. And we have two or three named people that go down and do security checks, but other than that, the railway's closed. And is the discussion associated with? I mean, it's a hard topic, but is the discussion associated with what happens if this goes on for? another year or in particular as you know it's you need to crew on you know on your locomotive so there's no social distancing really that can work with that so everything is kind of projected a bit further i guess for you guys i mean is there forward talking or is it just too difficult to bear with currently we got a ball beating next week on zoom so that'll be fun hmm. but basically what we're looking at is trying to get people back down to volunteer and do work but we're going to have to manage the numbers. We're going to have to manage what they're working on and how they're working. So we're going to have to bring in a rostering system just for working down yes. the railway before you even think about getting passengers back. Yeah, it's a difficult problem, right? Do you think collectively the light railways will, I mean, is it just basically each one or is there a kind of collective society of light railways in the UK that uh, yours belongs to? Yeah, we belong to the Heritage Railway Association and uh, they're working with the government um, on how to take it forward. But I don't know much more than that at the moment. Okay, interesting, interesting. And are you, you know, is is Martin's apocalypse situation <laughs> something that you have considered personally? I mean, do you get a sense that this thing basically doesn't return to, society can't move back to what it was historically so, I mean, what's your thinking associated with the future? Are you just basically concentrating on the present? So I think mainly we're concentrating on just getting people back. But we are thinking about, you know, a bit further on uh, whether we reopen this side of the end of season in September or Christmas or is it going to be next year? Uh, we don't really know. We just have to play it by ear. Uh, but financially, we're not too bad off. Um mm. The only thing that we've got as a big expense is uh, the viaduct, which is uh, a kilometre-long reinforced concrete viaduct, which needs £20,000 of maintenance every two years. Gosh. And lo and behold, we're on the two years. So yes. So we have got a little bit of a, a bill, but we think we're all right uh, even then. Yes, yeah. I don't know the kind of people that repair viaducts. Sometimes you can get discounts. I mean, certainly 
That's what I've seen just here. That, you know, some of these folk that do very specialist work are just happy to do work and will give discounts in these circumstances. But this sounds like a big job anyway. So interesting yeah. times. It's been £20,000 every two years since 1996. Ah, so, so they've kept the price basically. Yeah, gosh, so, without so the company that are doing it are brilliant. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. As you listen to this conversation, how what what's your view with regards to the hobby currently, Paul Best? Do you, I mean, in terms of the stuff that you're doing, we talked about you focusing back on your, your home layout and getting things ready for that. Since we yeah. last spoke, have you changed any thinking? Is there... What's your perspective with regards to the hobby going through this? And do you think the hobby has changed? And, you know, even when things move back to something in the future, do you think the hobby will have learnt or changed or grown through this period? I'd like to hope that it's growing. Uh, I think it's growing. Uh, there's a new model shop in our town now, mm-hmm. uh, and I've ordered a few bits and bobs from him. I can see this is going to be a very expensive relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute nightmare. <laughs> not too far away yes. the model shop so um so certainly uh, i seem to be spending more even if nobody else is uh, i think the big challenge is disposable income mm. um and if people are losing their jobs obviously they're not going to have that but even just downloading uh paper kits from scale scenes or something like that has been really popular yes, as far so as i can well. make out uh, and that's really good. And uh, I've been working on some 16 mil stuff today, and I've got my chassis running, and it's all controlled by the phone as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Which is absolutely brilliant. It's such a step forward. You feel like you've actually achieved something. So I've got a chassis that works, and now I've just got to build the rest of the loco around it. And we haven't talked about your 16 mil interests, I think, in any great detail previously. You don't, you don't, you're not planning a 16 mil layout at any time in the future, are you? Maybe next year or the year after. <laughs> we'll have to see. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm certainly saving money on international travel. And looking at your Facebook feed, maybe you and your partner are also saving money on international travel currently. So that's certainly yeah. where my funds are coming from currently. But yeah, very interesting times. Very interesting times. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it is interesting. And I, I have been doing a, a Skype call every Wednesday for the railway. And basically, if anybody wants to chat from four four o'clock till six o'clock UK time, I'm sitting here waiting for Skype calls to come in. Um, the first five weeks, it was a very lonely time. Mm. And then the last couple of weeks, one of the guys has been phoning in. And then last week, this week just gone, we've had two people join in. Mm. So I think they're finally getting the message. <laughs> well, you find that with if you, if you listen to the first Model Rail radio recording, typically takes about two calls and then people start to work out what this thing's about. So, yeah, I think there's a kind of natural progression. Look, you know, in four weeks' time, you're going to be up to, you know, 10, 15 people on the call, perhaps. That'd be fun. So any other updates, Paul? Anything anything in the hobby? I mean, it, we did have a great chat last time associated with your many liveries, many years, many, uh, you know, possibilities. Lad. Have you been able to do anything more on that or you pick out the 16 mil? Uh, I've been um, doing a little bit on that, just sort of planning it, uh, and I'm reading up on uh, how to do electronics and understanding electronics through the uh, Model Electronic Railway Group, uh, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, and they've got a free book which is available to download by Davy Dick, uh, which explains uh, about electricity and how it works your railway. So wonderful! Um, I have a couple of chapters into that, and it's absolutely brilliant. Wonderful. 
Wonderful. I think we've recommended that book in the past, actually. So, yeah, I certainly the, the free PDF offerings are always well received. So, wonderful. Fascinating conversation. Martin, as we are concluding this thing, did you have anything that you wanted to conclude with? I kind of cut you off in, with Paul coming on and obviously we had the conversation with Simon. In terms of your checklist, is there anything additional on your checklist that we yet to cover? Oh, that's just a, just a very, very quickly look. Oh, yes. Good, Please. Good, good, good the floor point. is yours. The Garden Railway, the change of route I've now come up with mm-hmm. to get a complete loop, a continuous loop at some point, will need a lifting bridge. Ooh. And I've there was some, a very uh, very interesting in the 16ml Garden Association Facebook group, uh, this very conversation, not from me, from someone else came up, and someone posted some pictures of a lifting bridge that was built by a person who was a signalman uh, or, or does the mechanics of signalling systems. And he made a lifting bridge that automatically, as you lifted it up, flipped up a lever that become a temporary buffer stop mm-hmm. in the track. So that if you were running a, a train and someone lifted a bridge to go through and forgot to put it back down and you were unaware of it, there was a, a, a bar that already come up so that if your train was heading to fall off the edge of a cliff, it would be stopped. Yes. And it worked for both ends. So that was quite interesting. And then I was talking to Ken about this when I was over there, always mulling over things about this lifting bridge. And then we come up with this idea of possibly wouldn't a gate work just as well? Mm. So if you, uh, because where this lifting bridge is going to go across will be across the, the front of the greenhouse. And my mm. wife will want to get to the greenhouse and she'll want <laughs> to get there the very time I'm running trains. And rather than her lifting up a bridge and, and bits and pieces. And to be honest, the bridge left up doesn't look so good no. as a bridge left down. But if I was to have a, like a gate that's the height of the railway and across the top of the gate was the track, what's the stop it? being like a swinging out traverser where the track's on the gate yes. as you open it out yeah. it could move the track so yeah. uh we're gonna mull that over mm. and ken said he's got a load of metal uh that he's going from one of his sheds he's found that he, he that's there to be used so well i expect we'll come up with a few drawings and produce this gate uh which will be in a in an arch as well to make mm. a bit of a feature that uh, could be a good way of making this sort of effectively lifting section in the railway. How would so it, I mean, uh, talking about the just the basic physics, if it's swinging, mm-hmm. how you've got two rails at either end that are connecting. Yeah. How does that work with physics? I'm just trying to think how it seems I, to be the, the tight join on either end, unless you have some angles. I mean, if you do yeah. angles, I guess, if you had a kind of strange curved gate, you might be able to do it somehow. No, you wouldn't. Know. If you think of a uh, trapezium, mm-hmm. so if you think of that, uh, if you if you take the trapezium and the short side is facing you, yes, oh, okay, and and then if you if you imagine, uh, your okay, tra- ah, yes, yeah, yes, yes, and yes, as you yes, open yes, it yes, out, yep, 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 yep. that's yep. how it should Easy. should work. Okay, of you, course, yeah, you, you couldn't do it with uh, squared off ends. No it, way, it wouldn't work. You could do it with radius. So if that's it was what a I was bit thinking. Like a, yeah, like a turntable type yeah. of thing. But yeah. no, we we we. I think it was us that just as we get towards the end of the cup of tea that we the trapezium, <laughs> the trapezium yeah, shape came to w- would be the solution. So I mean, all I've got to do is get some foam balled out, make one mm. out of that, just to prove the concept. But yeah. I think that's the way it would work. Yeah, and I would do it in such a way that 
there'll be a sprung, I don't know, bar that can come up that when the gate shuts, as the gate shuts, there'll be a lever on the bar that the gate actually brings the lever down. So it frees the track. But when you open the gate, this lever will spring up to stop the track or or put a block in the track. So for the safety side and being a gate, it's a lot easier uh, to handle. Yeah. Yeah. And less likely for damage. Yeah. Now, if you're lifting a bridge and you oh blimey I let it go a little bit too quick or something like that or I didn't I didn't put the bolt in to hold it in the upright position or yeah. stuff like that so and I've got uh, in our house we used to have double uh, wrought iron gates uh, in on our front driveway hmm. well I still got those I don't know why I kept them but I have <laughs> and, and we were looking at those and I know they I call them wrought iron they're actually steel hmm. gates uh, but in a wrought iron fashion Certainly. so there's the possibility of using those in a cut down form as yes. the basic gate so it, it, it it's got to look attractive yes but it's also got to be functional so that's something that's over the next few weeks months will design something like that i've i've got well ken's confirmed he's got plenty of roofing sheet for me to do the rest of the railway yes uh, and loads of metal for the supports if i should ever run out so that's that's good news uh so i've, I've got plenty of stuff that i can continue the line once uh if work quietens down a little bit, I can sort of get on with that as the, the weather's yeah. absolutely lovely here. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's the, the sort of thing I've I've got on, on the garden railway side of things. And the stock, still building stock Certainly. and painting yes, stock yes. Uh, as and when. And the next uh, buildings, I'm really, really looking forward to doing the buildings mm. because I, I want to get on with this Fomex PVC, which I know Simon's already been using on his uh, shed railway. Mm. Uh, North North Kent Light Railway is it called? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, he's been using this this PVC Fomex, which you can carve and emboss, and you can glue with super glue, and it makes really strong, very detailed buildings. Mm. And there's a there's a guy on YouTube in the UK, uh, Stephen Atkinson, I think his name mm-hmm. is. He's been uh, he does a YouTube video where he goes through stage by stage of making various buildings out of this stuff, mm. and. They, they, it is, he does all the building and he shows all the techniques and the things he does and, and builds these fantastic looking buildings. His wife is the artist of the pair mm. and she does all the painting uh, in acrylics. <laughs> and, uh, and then they uh, map varnish them and they're left out on their garden railway. Mm. And he's done all sorts of good sheds, engine sheds, houses, factories. Recently, he's just done a working water wheel all yes. into this Fomex PVC. Yes. Uh, and there's a, a lady I follow on what, uh, some of the Facebook page, Nikki Wilkes, and she's done some absolutely superb models, model buildings using mm. this uh, Firmex PVC stuff. And she's shown some uh, she's done for clients, and uh, and you would swear blind that they were real yes. when you see the photographs. Yes. They are that that good, and it's it's a it's a lovely material to work with. You know, just basic hand tools. It cuts nicely with a knife. It, I, mean, I did a few tests. Uh, gluing pieces with super glue to see if it really did, does glue that well and it does mm. super glue really does bite into it so um, I've, I've done the mock-ups in foam bald for the size of the building so i can get get an idea for those so i'm just going to do the drawings on the computer to work out the exact dimensions and stuff and and i'm just i've got loads of foam bald in stock mm. uh, i've got I've bought the, the micro chisels you need mm. for the embossing Wonderful. Uh, and a whole set of stuff. So, yeah, that's the next thing I'm looking forward to doing at some point and uh, getting some buildings out there. Terrific. Uh, 
Yep, that's that's me done out now, Tom. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much, Martin. Pleasure, pleasure getting your update. And sorry for multiple derailings through there, but uh, we did get to the end. That's the important thing. Excellent. Pleasure chatting as always. <laughs> and you, Tom. Really enjoyed it. I would like to welcome back a Roger Chrysler. Roger, what has been going on with model railroading hobby? Or actually, as you've listened in through this, do you have stuff to add to the topics that we've been discussing as well? Of course, uh, everything on our our minds is about COVID lockdown and social distancing and all that kind of stuff. But so it's a different age that we live in. You were asking uh, last time I talked uh, to you that if I was uh, taking part in any of these uh, clinic things that are going on. And actually, uh, June 7th, uh, we're having a, a virtual RPM meet. It's called uh, uh, Hindsight 2020. And uh, I'm going to be presenting a clinic uh, along with a bunch of other people uh, during that time frame. So, Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's uh, entitled uh, Filling Trussels and uh, Spreading Ballast uh, uh the uh, heart convertible ballast cars and Lidgerwood in use. So the Lidgerwood is a big uh, winch mounted on a flat car mm. that pulls pulls a dozer blade through these cars and they dump out the side to either do uh, ballast the rails or to fill in, like I say, large trestles and so on. So we'll be uh, examining that and how to model those and that sort of thing. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm going to be, I think it's um, June 28th, it's a Saturday, midday, my time, 3pm Eastern on NMRAX, they, they booked me. I'm going to be talking about communities and podcasts. I'm going to talk about the amazing stuff that one could do, and obviously highly topical currently, particularly if we're looking to replace, you know, the local banter at the uh, local hobby store. So I'm looking forward to and I think some of it is going to be very similar to the stuff that I've presented on previously, but I'm going to try and diversify it as much as possible, particularly based on audience participation. So, yeah, shout-outs to, to all the folks that are running these things now, and obviously, as you say, you know, even regionals are now moving into this. Uh, interesting times, and... Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm also, while I'm continuing to stud the walls of my basement prior to putting up drywall and continuing with more layout but uh in the meantime i joined on the facebook group uh facebook uh site a group called uh achievement program from from the nmra mm. so that's kind of got me inspired to continue my ap certificates wow. and uh while we're locked down and uh, we can <laughs> get all that nasty paperwork done so mm. in between uh hammering up studs i uh you know, I get tired of doing that. I'll do some, uh, draw some uh, charts or, uh, you know, do some uh, spreadsheets or something like that to uh, <laughs> track track what I'm doing and uh, hopefully uh, get through all the, the nasty part of the paperwork uh, is, is the paperwork. Uh, yes. Most of the other work I've got done already in the past, but uh, now I have to recreate some of that in the new layout. So that's been fun too and getting advice from some of the other people on the uh, – Achievement Program uh, Facebook site. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, it's interesting times for that kind of stuff too. So nice to hear the NMRA is uh, 
streamlining some of that for, you know, the current setting, because obviously with more people in lockdown, more people doing the hobby, the ability to track that for achievement programs in particular sounds wonderful. Yeah, judging might be uh, a bit of uh, contention, uh, finding the judges to, you know, come into your home or whatever, or finding a place to uh, look at what you're doing to, uh, well, they, it's not judging anymore, it's called evaluating. That's <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> Very good. Uh, that's, a, that's the politically correct uh, term for it now. Very good. So. Very, well, uh, even that might, might whimper and fall into another... Uh, Yes, there are many waves of this thing, apparently, and uh, yes, we are only at the start of it, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's basically what I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm talking with another couple of friends that uh, they're interested in some of my uh, um, postings about uh, doing research on the line that I'm mm-hmm. working, and uh, we're talking about maybe going out and uh, hiking a couple of our rail trails, and I'll Wonderful. show them... Uh, some of the scenes that I'm doing and we can uh, probably be outside and keep uh, our social distancing that way, but uh, get a little bit of inspiration and social time in there. Sounds wonderful. Well, Roger, thank you very much for calling and thank you for your update. It's a pleasure catching up as always. And certainly thank you also for plugging the, plug the regional again that you're going to be participating in. And I'm assuming it's open to everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's um, RPM meet. So railroad prototype modelers, it's called uh, Hindsight 2020, and uh, you get onto it by registering with Ted Collada, who's mm-hmm. uh, famous in the press. He has uh, Speedwitch uh, Media is his uh, website, and uh, but I believe they have a limited number of openings, mm. and they've filled up once, and then they got some more in, so I'm not sure at the moment uh, how much space is left, but they... Uh, may do it again in the in the future mm. uh seems like the um support is there anyway for it so a lot of people uh seem to want to participate so wonderful. should be fun wonderful and Sounds- that's uh that's uh june june 7th uh between noon and 8 p.m uh eastern standard time e- eastern daylight savings time yeah mm-hmm. it would be very ambitious to imagine that i would actually have this audio edited by then apologies to everyone listening to this in uh november 2020 (laughs) when the audio actually comes out yes unfortunately i i this gives me a good opportunity let me let me first say thank you for calling in a pleasure catching up um i need to give an apology at the end of this recording as well with regards to the editing but yeah thank you for calling in and all the best with the uh the presentation it sounds fascinating look please plug it on the model rail radio facebook group as well um, oh, sure, I will, yeah. If you haven't already done so, because that is the live way to actually communicate with our listeners. So thank you. That's true. Yes, thank you. Okay, uh, bye-bye for now. Thank and, you. Uh, Pleasure as always, thank Roger. You. Right. I don't think of it as being a month behind the audio editing for this particular recording. I think of it as having just nearly finished editing the amazing conversation with Luke Lemons and uh, and Gordy and others associated with the NMRX convention. So that audio has taken a little bit longer, but primarily because work has been more hectic than usual this week. I'm in no way complaining about my current circumstances. I'm merely saying, unfortunately, 
for things like model rail radio. My current circumstances are not ideal, but the audio is progressively getting out there. And I think what's vastly more important is actually recording weekly shows. So I think that is vast because I thought, you know, maybe I'll take a week off or what have you. And I thought, no, this thing is too important for the folks that participate and also the folks that listen. So I'm not going to slow down the weekly cadence. I'm going to continue to record weekly shows. I'm just going to put them out when I can put them out. And apologies for folks if that is taking longer than anticipated, but I've got a lot of stuff that I'm working through, including literally a mile away from me, they are rioting. So if I can put that in the feed, downtown San Jose had overnight riots, which is literally a mile away from me. So, you know, there is a lot of stuff going on other than recording model rail radio um, in my life currently. Uh, but yeah, I still am committed to recording on a weekly basis and putting them out when I can possibly put them out. And thanks also to the folks who have contacted me through this period of time and have thanked me for moving to a weekly format. I don't know if I'll be able to, if things change, if circumstances change, I don't know if I'll be able to continue to maintain a weekly format, but for now I've been able to, and I'm really, the ability just to talk to the, the folks in Kent and Roger and other, you know, other people, this for me is really important too. So I can't diminish in any way how wonderful it is to catch up with people who, I mean, I, I've walked through, you know, both, uh, Martin and Simon's houses, in Simon's case twice. So I know them both very well on the ground, and that is completely due to this community, this podcast. Um, so, yeah, it's not going to be stopping anytime soon. The edits might take a little longer to get out. But I also heard from, and this is serious, I heard from Lionel Strang, and he thanked me for putting online the audio that I did for Jim Lincoln a while back. He said he's learnt about uh, silence compression, um, removing silence. And he actually got some stuff out of the video that I put together for um, Jim Lincoln. Um, so shout outs to Lionel Strang and everything that he, look, if there is a powerhouse in this format currently, obviously Lionel's AML network uh, is there producing the content to fill in the gaps between when I can get through this thing out. But yeah, it was really wonderful to hear from Lionel. We don't talk as much as we once did, but I think we both have a lot of audio to edit and other things going on. So yeah, hats off to Lionel. Thank you for getting in contact about the audio editing video. And I think this is a, you know, we talk about communities at many different levels. This is a community that I think can learn from other areas as well currently. Uh, but at the same point, we're all focusing on our, you know, our own local environment as well. So lots of interesting ideas today. The bread guy discussion for me was particularly, you know, hard, a little bit poignant. I was debating whether or not to even raise it. But it sounds like these things are certainly being thought about and to have on Paul Best as well to talk about his local experiences too. Absolutely fascinating stuff. I think GoFundMe's are wonderful. I think a number of these railroads have other services that they provide as well. And yeah, it's just interesting, interesting times. So a pleasure having the discussion with everyone. Thanks to everyone for participating today. Thanks also for the folks for listening in. Good morning. Thanks very much, Tom. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, cheers, Tom.